Okay, so that'll do it for Nashville CA. For Josh, for myself, take care of yourselves. Take care of your neighbors, everyone. Two weeks from now, we will be watching Con Air and Twister with our friends Virginia and Steven. Um, really looking forward to that one. So I hope you all have a wonderful two weeks, and we'll see you next time here on Nashville CA. Bye! Sean, what's happening? We're fucking with time. <laughs> so, today's first movie we're going to be talking about is Time Crimes, directed by Nacho Vigalando, and this is a movie from 2007. It's a Spanish movie, and Josh, we have both seen this before. How did you first hear about this movie? When did you first see it? Um, I feel like I picked this up as a blind buy um from like a family video or a, a blockbuster um because i distinctly remember when i first watched it was uh i was sitting at my little desk at the job where i worked overnights and i only had to like do stuff every 4 hours but i had to be there to check in trucks and i remember sitting down there with my little white um macbook like the white plastic macbook and I would just sit and watch movies while I was waiting for trucks to show up. And I, this was one of my watched then squinting at the little tiny type at the bottom of the screen for the uh, subtitles. <laughs> subtitles on a tiny screen are never great, are they? No, no, it's, it's always a bad situation, especially if you got eyes like mine. I don't remember how I heard about this one, except that at the time i would guess it's like from reading bloody disgusting and websites like that that mm -hmm. i just heard about a cool new dvd out called time crimes i don't remember but it might have even been um that poster is very effective yes it the, is the bandaged head guy with the giant duster coat holding the scissors mm -hmm. that that hooks me right there i want to watch that movie all right, so we're going to be talking a lot about the time shit, time paradoxes, time movies, all that sort of stuff today. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite time travel movies. I think it's so wonderfully executed with how simple the idea is that it allows you to get into it. And right when you think you understand and like you've wrapped your brain around it, mm -hmm. the movie then like fucks your brain <laughs> that's what happened to me again because well we're going full spoilers by the way yes um you have to. as we always do um so yeah we got hector one and hector two and i'm like all right yeah hector two needs to get hector one back into the tank i get it i get it i'm with you we're, we're doing it we're doing it I forgot about Hector 3. I did too. I yes. forgot about Hector 3. And then when I, for, when I remember that we're, go we're going back in this thing again, that was when I was like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> because these bright, both these movies, I love time travel, but it, it as, as Troy said on Community, it wrinkles my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Something happens. I feel like the... The two sides of the paper when you try to do a demonstration of a black hole and you fold the paper together and stab a pencil through it. Right. That's my brain somehow. <laughs> it is. Um, so, okay. I don't know if we can, if we start at the beginning or start at the end, 
and explain how they go? Because uh, that's that's a good question. I don't know how to talk about this movie. Yes, if we just talk about it in order, some of the causal stuff gets lost, I feel like, because it's uh you you get it when you're watching the movie, like he makes the phone call and but every detail of what they set up in this movie or every detail that happens in the first section of the movie is set up. You don't realize it when you're first watching it that all this stuff is going to come back into play somehow. The, um, the phone, the table that he brings his wife, even the actions that they're doing all feed back into the loop. Once you, he gets out of that tank for the first time. What movie did we watch that was just like this? The similar setup where we had to talk about the entire thing at once because the movie doubles back on itself. Um, I do not recall, but I remember doing that. One Cut of the Dead. That's oh, it. yes. Yeah. So this, I think that's probably the best way to approach this movie mm -hmm. is with a complete discussion of knowing knowing the third act and discussing the third act even as we discuss the first act yes okay i think that's the best way to do it so from the beginning and this is why this movie is so beautiful because even having seen it before if you like you just get a deeper appreciation once you see all the dominoes being set up but for me it has been what like a decade since I've seen this thing, probably. Same here. Yeah. So I remembered the that he goes back to the house. Hector two goes back to the house and um scares his wife and she dies, which sets our third loop into motion. Like, he has to rectify this situation. I remember that that happened. I didn't remember how it happened, and I didn't remember what came from it, though. So, it was like this thing that's hanging out there in the air that I was waiting for the movie to catch up to that point. Because it, like, that in and of itself, knowing some of the details, but not all of them, is a mindfuck that I was doing to myself with my memory of the movie. Which was... You just great you already broke my brain yeah <laughs> because did hector 2 kill his wife the first time it's it was always it yes the, the lady it, it was always the lady yes but hector 2 didn't know that at the time correct god damn it <laughs> <laughs> and that's the part that i forgot that it was always the lady. I forgot that she came back into play. Yeah, this poor woman. Yes. This poor woman goes through the ringer in this movie, and I'm a little concerned about her survival instinct, or lack thereof, because yeah. she seems perfectly cool following this bandaged man holding scissors into the woods, and like, I don't know, she, she needs to get her guard up a little quicker. <laughs> I, I feel like she could have easily run away from him, like, she looks quite athletic, and he looks like a middle-aged... He looks like me, essentially. Like, no one's gonna... I'm not gonna hunt you down in a foot race. <laughs> so this is... Uh, 
Oh boy. Kara uh, Elehalde. Good luck with that name. Um, I tried uh, as Hector. <laughs> and he's a great everyman. I really, yes. really like him. I love his performance. I think just right off the bat, how did he dump all that shit in his driveway? Did he just like drive around town with the tailgate open, just dumping bags of fertilizer all everywhere? That's literally my first note was uh, this poor guy. He's got stuff strewn all over his driveway. I'm trying to figure out the physics. But you know what scares me or not scares me, but like we're introduced to this man right away. The first thing we see is that maybe he's a clumsy man Mm -hmm. and clumsy people should not be time traveling. Yes, it's everything <laughs> about this dude. You just get the idea that like he's fumbling. Uh, he brings home this like IKEA table for his wife that she wanted, and he asks her if she's gonna be the one to put it together. Like, w- will you put it together? And she's like, yes, of course. And then he wants to go take a nap. It's the <laughs> middle of the day. He's he's run some errands and he's done. She's outside like. And she does look much more athletic and kind of together than he does. He's oh, his 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 wife's sexy lady. Yeah, yeah. Her, her little. He's he's, uh, he's a lucky dude, and I liked him when he's like, he looks so frumpy, but she's still so clearly into him when yes. she starts like jumping on him on the couch. I'm like, dude, you you batted out of your league. Every one of their little interactions is so sweet. Like it sets up, uh that they're really cute together and I don't know how they do it in such short time, like give you such a feeling for this couple and that he does love his wife and that she is clearly, like you said, she's clearly into him. Yeah. There's a lot of little tiny fun little throwaway things. Like the wife says that time flies here when she's out in the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, he says it's Saturday, but his wife thinks it's Friday. Uh, stuff like that. Just a lot of little fun, nuanced dialogue, time travel shit. Yeah. that's Both these movies had a lot of little fun, just, I think, yeah. playing with the audience kind of things. Yeah. So he gets a phone call. He, all he hears is breathing. He tries to star 69 it, but he, he gets a restricted terminal. Um. I like that he drops the phone, but he doesn't hang it up. So that way, Hector 2 has to listen to another man himself <laughs> kissing his wife. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, how do you... How would you feel about that, Josh? How would you feel listening to yourself making out with Elizabeth, but it's not you? So... Uh... I had that question multiple times throughout this of, I just wanted to ask you, what would you do? Because it does break my brain. I'm like, it's fine because it's me. But also, I don't want to witness that. I don't want to be the third party to my own makeout sesh with my wife. That's weird. And it's uncomfortable. And there's also the director of the film is there in the room listening also as the scientist yeah nacho nacho the director plays the the time travel tech yes yes okay the the hapless scientist who sets all this into motion because he wasn't going to get to witness when they actually turn the machine on 
Is that his yeah. his big it's motivation? Like it's, it's, un, it's unfair. I won't. They, I'll be reassigned yeah. six months from now. So I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> oh, uh, what would I do? Let me tell you, bud. I used to work on Treasure Island, which is the island in between Oakland and San Francisco, and it's like old abandoned naval buildings and shit. And okay. Just like it's a lot of like old rundown things, and every once in a while there would be some kind of event out there. That would need cones or barricades or whatever. And so one night, we our our company was stationed out there, and um, we had a hundred, two hundred barricades or something all linked up together. And so my boss was like, "Hey, I'm gonna drop you off here on this side of the island. We're gonna jam back to the warehouse, unload the truck. You just unlink and stack all the barricades. So that way, when we come back, it'll be super quick to pick everything up." Mm-hmm. So I'm there alone, 2.30, 3 a.m. or whatever, middle of the night, and I'm standing there just working by myself, and I start to think, what would the scariest thing that could happen to me right now, what would it be? And I started to freak myself out when I started to imagine myself walking up to me (laughs) in middle of the night, like just myself, Mm -hmm. another me, steps out from around the corner and just starts walking towards me. That would scare the ever-living fuck out of me. So the fact that this guy thinks, Hector 2 thinks like, but I could just, I could just go back home and talk to Hector 1 and explain. What, what are you going to explain? Right. <laughs> hey, listen, we cloned ourselves by accident. Just chill out. Just sit down. Don't do it. Like, no, this is <laughs> bonkers. Like, ugh. So, what would I do? I have no fucking idea. Okay. No idea. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a girlfriend, luckily, so I don't have to worry about that part of things, but... Well, so, what would you do? The The thing that sets this... Seemingly sets this into motion, from what we understand, is that Hector sees th- the woman. I don't know that she gets a name. Um, un- I don't- Undressing in the woods, which, uh, did you notice that her, her shirt is a reference to Schrodinger's cat? Uh, I watched it with two friends and so, uh, someone okay. else pointed that out. I did not. Yeah. But I, that is funny. I, yeah. I thought that was very cute. Uh, but the, first of all, if you're in your garden and you happen to see in the woods, where there's a fence between you, there's clearly a fence between you. You see a naked lady. I think that I would just count my lucky stars that I got to see a random naked lady stripping off in the woods and go about the rest of my day. I don't think that I would start looking through the woods for her. I would stay in my garden, as it were. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not going looking for that woman. No, yeah. No, no, no. yeah. Also, it's a big distinction if you're in your backyard with binoculars and you're looking at the woods, you happen to see a naked lady. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're looking from your backyard to someone else's backyard yeah. and you see a naked lady. <laughs> Not okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am surrounded by woods here and uh, all we ever get is foxes and deer. So. so when he goes and walks into the woods and tries to find this woman, that was when I really noticed... One thing I really like about this movie is the look of it. I don't know if it was shot digitally or color. It looks like it has that digital grain. Mm -hmm. But there's a graininess to it. 
the color palette's a little bit washed out and desaturated. And then um, the sound design is, I, I really just liked the ambience noises of everything. And when he's out in the woods with the birds and then when he's in the lab and just this little subtle sound design touches. Um, once again, both of these movies, there were moments just in the sound design where I was like, I think Sean would listen to this just as a song. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, there's that one point where he's so he finds the naked woman, but now she's seemingly knocked unconscious mm-hmm. in the and as he's approaching her and I <laughs> I love that he throws twigs at her yes. because he's he's afraid of <laughs> uh, the idea of like approaching somebody that you find a stranger who's passed out. It's always kind of scary. And so it's like you you always want to kind of poke them with a stick or something don't you you mm-hmm. don't want to just get right inside their their range where they can grab you that's um i a couple of years ago um was out scouting locations for something and came across this guy who was in his car in the middle of the day like in an uh a fairly busy parking lot but he looked like he was having problems, but he was asleep and he was like clearly had apparently tied one on uh, at the closest restaurant there and then just went to sleep it off in his car, but had all the windows up in like during like August. Oh, no. That, yeah. Yeah. That is very dangerous. Yeah. I was like, this is this is bad. And even if this guy's not hurting right now, he's going to be. <laughs> Because he has not thought to, like, you know, crack these windows. And uh, I remember my girlfriend at the time and I, like, we were debating, do we go knock on his, like, driver's side window? Like, because it's all fogged up. And what do you do in this situation? Uh, Yeah, I saw a dude blasted off his head on some kind of drugs, but he was lying down next to a bus stop in Santa Rosa but he was talking to himself smoking a cigarette so I figured he was doing all right uh-huh. he can carry on a conversation I mean he's fine <laughs> um, but it, getting back to the sound yeah as he approaches that woman there's like this swelling noise of like the terror and then he gets stabbed in the arm and then later when he's looking through the binoculars you get like heartbeat music which I just think creates such wonderful tension uh, so um yeah so hector two stabs hector one in the arm and <laughs> uh, i love how nonchalantly hector two is going through the motions of all these things because he doesn't have to he doesn't have to do any of these things emotionally like when he stabs him he just knows he has to stab him like it it's just he's doing things because he has to same thing with this woman making the woman strip he he doesn't want to do it right it already happened so he has to but this is what really fucks my brain josh and this is the the question that just when did he get in the the time machine the first time when did he make the woman take her shirt off the first time it seems like there never was a first time. Uh-huh. The paradox is 
we somehow skip that period of time and we immediately start with the second time. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And that doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah, here. because it, because it hurts if, to think about if if Hector two didn't stab Hector one in the arm, Hector one would have never ran through the woods and scaled the fence to the institute. But Hector two only stabs Hector one because it had already happened. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what the fuck? <laughs> okay. I go on just based on the first act. How great is the, the peekaboo hand binoculars? Oh my god. When the bandage guy turns around looking at him through uh-huh. his hands. I don't know what it is about that image, but the first time I watched this movie, that scared me. Um, and that, uh, that you might see that as some of the key art in some places um, with him, like miming the binoculars, but the still frame of it does not do justice to how he whips his head around and like barrels the camera immediately with, (laughs) with the fake binoculars. He's just like dead on staring into the lens and it's so freaky. It's I love that like Muppety but looking head movement he does. To play it for a scare here, and then in the second act, to mm-hmm. play it almost for a laugh. Yes. Where Hector has to get the timing down, but he can't remember exactly where he was standing or when it happened. Mm-hmm. So he has to do the binocular thing five or six times. Is is it it's really brilliant. And it's um they do it from like a super tight shot, uh, like a POV through the binoculars the first time. And then it's a wide shot the second time where you see him like moving from place to place, <laughs> like to, to line up just correctly. And I love there's no sound design with each time that it he does it, but it doesn't hit. Right. And then the one time that it does hit, you get like the flourish of sound yeah. and, and Hector one <laughs> running away. And <laughs> Okay, so when Hector One's running away, is this one of the flimsiest chain link fences you've ever seen? <laughs> he jumps on it, and the pole that's supposed to be buried two feet into the ground just immediately topples over. Yes. Uh, there's, what is it? There's two fences that get knocked down in this. Both are pretty easy, and I'm like, especially the one guarding the Institute, because that just seems, that's, that's poor planning right there. Right. Um, did this remind you at all of your next when he approaches the house that's blasting rock music? Oh. He's in danger. He's knocking on the door trying to get in. And yeah. then he breaks in. It just had a very like your next uh, feel of the neighbor's house. Well, and I think that this had actually colored my thinking of your next because when I originally saw the trailer for your next with that with the song repeating i had thought that it was going to be some kind of time travel thing because of this yes really that's interesting i was like oh they're going it's they're doing a a looping day scenario oh man you're next as a looping day now i want to see that i know (laughs) you're next again uh did you see the other day uh, on, uh, it has to be said, April 1st, um, 
they dropped a soundtrack for the guest two. And uh, I saw someone in Discord post that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, sweet. And then I realized it was like 1201 on uh, April 1st when I first I was like, shit. I honestly just thought that that movie slipped by my radar somehow. Like, really? Oh, I didn't even know they oh, made yeah. a sequel to that. <laughs> uh, after this, let's see here. Oh, we find the squiggle line. And <laughs> the squ- All right, this- I love how simple this little diagram is for Hector 1 and 2. Yes. For that, it, it really helps me understand what this movie is. So the squiggle line is basically- you you go forward, you hit your X, you zigzag down, you hit another X, then you go forward again. And so there's that 90-minute overlap. Mm-hmm. And that's... I think this movie is so smart, too, because it's a time travel movie set over the runtime of the movie itself. Yes. It's a 90-minute time travel window, and it's a 90-minute movie. Awesome. <laughs> that's... Um, I love when he first gets in the tank and then gets out and we see that it that it went from nighttime back to daytime so we know that he's either jumped forward or backward uh yeah and we're not quite sure at the beginning which way it is but he it takes him a second to turn around and look out the window and once again the first time we see that it's played like this kind of reveal to the character the second time we see it is from Hector two Hector two's point of view watching him. And he looks like he's just a bumbling idiot. Like, like catch up with us. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's like how nonchalantly he does things. He knows he has to walk up to the window and do a pop-up scare. Oh my God. I but love he's that. So beat down and tired that he's just going through the motion. So it's hilarious to see a stalker psycho killer who's just like slowly moseying around, just like, oh shit, now I have to do this thing. And then after that, I have to do this mm-hmm. without actual any like real intention behind his actions. Yeah. That pop up into the window the first time is like, is it's a pretty good scare. But then that second time, he just looks so forlorn, just like, oh, fine, I'll do it. Well, how great is the bit where to get him from from the facility up the hill to where the the time machine is that whole bit with the radio mm-hmm. of of making up the story that the killer is right behind him yes and what genuine tension that builds in the first act when he's like when he says like i, I lost him on the camera i lost him and then like Oh fuck! Run! Run! Right. Like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize on the second time, or is it the third time? By the time there's Hector three, I believe, uh, the guy starts talking. The scientist starts talking about like, you know, my story about the cameras really could have used some more work. We should have security, <laughs> security cameras out here. <laughs> like, it. right? Right. Um, Hector one is also in terrible shape because he has a psycho killer chasing after him. He runs for like 30 yards mm-hmm. and just collapses face down. I was like, turn off the lights. Yeah. Like, I, I gotta hide. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he gets in the machine 
spits the goo out. What do you think of just science goo in general? Just gooey science. Oh, I love it. It it feels like, yeah, it's we see him like dumping whatever it is. KY. It's just a whole tub of KY you jelly. Gotta, yeah, you gotta lube up because there's a lot of friction in time travel. Okay. So he's got to get real good and slick, nice and slippery boy, so that he can do the time traveling. I love Hector 3 just casually rises out of the machine and spits the goo out. And uh-huh. like, uh, I'm back here again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It becomes like so nonchalant the further he goes on with it, where he's like, okay, the time travel no longer amazing to me, no longer surprising. So when Hector 2 gets out of the tank and it's morning, I, the first time I watched this movie, and even now this time, I was kind of like, this tech, this tech isn't as freaked out as I would think he would be mm-hmm. for having a man just appear out of nowhere in his machine, not realizing that he was freaked out, but not by this man, <laughs> by, by Hector 3. Is the one that freaked him out. The knocking on the machine when it's closed. Mm-hmm. Just imagine like being in that lab and suddenly out of nowhere, there's a trapped person next to you. Just out of thin air, a human being is there. So what did you think about Hector 3 trying to figure everything out? His Because by the time we're on the third loop, he is thinking ahead of the loops. He's trying to outthink himself in order to save his wife's life. Hector 3, you know, Hector 2 gets the shit beaten out of him with yes. the the car crash that he gets in, which, of course, is done by Hector 3. Mm-hmm. But um, the car crash, at one point, he falls and, like, hits his nose. And when Hector 3 takes the bandages off, Oh my god, this guy is one of the most fucked up main characters I've seen in a while in a movie. That the, There's the split on his forehead from the crash yeah. that just like never has closed all the way. Uh, his nose is bleeding. It looks like he's bleeding out of his mouth. His one eye is all swollen. He has a blood eye. Yeah. Just red with blood. Also, that gore shot that they did of the stab on his arm, mm-hmm. they do a nice little close-up. That's a gross-looking wound. So, you asked about the the goop a second ago. When he takes the bandage off his arm to wrap it around his head after he gets in the car accident, there's several close-ups of the goop falling into his car floorboard. Or not his oh, car, yeah, but the car. Oh, yeah, what was... Why was he dripping... Why was he dripping pink... From his wounds. That confused me. Yeah, I'm I was thinking the goop combined with the blood somehow. That yeah, that makes sense. That but checks out. That was the only thing because otherwise I didn't know why they were showing us the, the dripping of the goop. I was like, even this time I was trying to figure out if something else happened because of the goop. I don't know, because it's clearly, it's not their blood. Right. It's not the blood that they were using on the set of the movie. They have good fake blood. Yes, yes. So I I think you're, 
That's got to be it. It's got to be something like that. The, he, well, he calls him the, the pink mummy. Or uh, El Mummy no, Rosa. Uh, or El Mummy Rosa? Yeah. Roja? Rosa? I can't... No, Roja's red. Yes. So it must be Rosa. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I I don't know where we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, I, I'm at, I'm back. We're like now. Hector two is watching himself carry the table back to his wife back at the start of the movie. How cool is it that that table comes into play three different times? It's pretty great. Like it's pretty great. <laughs> it it totally could be a throwaway thing, but out of everything he carries home. And this time I was trying to watch it like the stuff that he was picking up or that he had dropped in the driveway. I was like, there's some fertilizer. looks like some lawn tools. What else, you know, what is going to come into play here? And it was the table. I totally forgot that that table comes, makes its reappearance two other times and uh, winds up stalling Hector too long enough, <laughs> long enough. So that Hector 3 can make the switch of the women. There's just little, little subtle kind of comedic elements in this movie that I think really help make it easier to digest and wrap your head around. Because mm -hmm. it's not, it's not like a scientific presentation, like Primer. Have you yes. seen Primer? Yes. Well, we've been talking about Primer the past day or two with friends, and it's just... It's one of the least accessible movies I've ever seen. And I watched it three times over, I don't know, three times over five years or something. And after my third watch, I was like, you know, this is not making any more sense whatsoever. And I watched like a YouTube video that tries to explain mm -hmm. what's going on. I've looked at timelines. I read like a Wikipedia article about like how the time, how like time travel works in Primer. None of it makes any sense to me whatsoever. It's just like a scientific gibberish movie for me. That's... And Shane Carruth also is kind of a piece of shit, it turns out. And so it's... Uh, that sucks. Yeah. The, the difference is, I feel like this uses the almost magical idea of time travel to tell its story. And it doesn't get too bogged down in what the technical details would be. It more is the what if part of it. Like, if we assume that all this stuff works, you can go forward from there. Primer gets stuck in the technical details. And I feel like sacrifices what should be the heart of the movie, which is the disintegrating friendship between the two friends. Like, that's that should be the point of the movie but everybody gets caught up in the details. And I've never heard anybody do that with this film or even with, um, you get a little bit more of it with looper, uh, and stuff like that. But even that, I think you're, you're stuck mostly on the plot and the, or you're stuck mostly on the emotional arc rather than the, the plotting is stuff. That, is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yes. That's why I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't like his face. <laughs> His whole face, just, the whole thing. You just don't like just it. His face, my friends. I've had a weird JGL thing for a while, but like two years ago, my friends were like, "Oh, we gotta watch." Um, what's his film noir movie? Brick. 
Yeah, yeah. You got to watch Brick. Brick's so good. And like, it's like modern noir and directed by that Ryan, whatever. And I, I, I didn't like it at all. I, didn't, <laughs> I don't like you, George, Joseph Gordon, George of Golden I don't like you. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. And nothing personal. Well, I guess it's extremely personal because it's like just his face. <laughs> so you might like Looper because his face is different in Looper. That might be the first Joseph Gordon movie. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Joseph Gordon movie, you know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Um, so let's see. Hector 2 calls himself. And I think this is interesting because the text, like, you cannot do anything. You have to stay away from yourself. Yes. But then I think the tech and him both realize, like, oh, wait, no. You have to do everything. Everything that you remember happening in today has to happen again. And my question is, is it even possible for things not to happen now? Because, because Hector 2 has already seen everything that happened, is it even possible for him to change anything since it's already happened? It's yet to happen, but it's already happened. So can he even change anything if he wanted to? So my thought is that he can't, and that's what the whole story is about, is the inevitability of certain things. Um, because the one thing that he does try to change, he doesn't so much change as have the realization that it wasn't his wife, it was this other woman. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's spot on. If... If indeed it was his wife the first time, and then he was able to then, like, substitute a different person to murder. Yes. They would be different. But no, he never changes... He never changes a thing in this. Right. He... He... It's just like a... Um, it's not a puzzle box as, as much as it is a haunted house for him to, like, survive through... And then come out the other end, sitting on those chairs with his wife at the end. Like. With a smashed face. Yeah, just beat to shit. Uh, he kind of looks like Brando at the end from Godfather. Though his with, cheeks are like swollen up. That's. Uh, I have underneath my, I guess it's my left eye especially, a bag from um, when I had surgery a couple years ago. Like. It's just never kind of came back correctly. Um, and I was looking at this guy. His eye bags look like droopy dog. Like, because he's got one bag underneath, but then his, like, cheek is cut out. The way that it looks is like he's got, he hasn't slept for months. And he's just got a series of eye bags underneath this okay. poor man. So... How long has Hector 3 been awake and running around doing this shit? Because he didn't, he was going to take a nap. Yes. And then he never took his nap. And we were assuming that this is the first time Hector 3 were watching him go through it for the first time. Mm -hmm. But that's also impossible for us to know. Because the other thing that fucks with my movie, with my brain, is that this will never end. There will forever be a loop of himself going back to fix things 
Like, even as time moves forward, mm -hmm. there will still be one segment of 90 minutes of time that will be repeating forever. So, my thought, and this, could, this could just be because I'm hungry. <laughs> I don't like this episode. We shouldn't have done this. <laughs> this is bad for me. I shouldn't think about things like this, Josh. <laughs> it's not healthy. So, picture a pecan swirl, right? What? <laughs> what? So, <laughs> because it's more, it gets more complex than just his. What's, his what's a pecan swirl? A pecan swirl? I it, know what a pecan is. What's a pecan swirl? It's it's like a. Here, I'm holding up my hands to show you is, round. Yes, round. Like a, it's like a pastry that's like rolled up. Yeah. Okay. It's a. Yeah. Like okay. You know, like a like a Swiss roll kind of thing, but but not. Listeners, imagine you would a cinnamon roll, but instead of cream cheese frosting, it has pecans for some reason. But I could you have just used the word spiral and instead you decided to go with a pecan treat? Well, I am hungry, so <laughs> <laughs> so we could put that on. Yes, picture if you will a spiral. Ah, <laughs> uh, but. There's a line going into it at the top and coming out from it at the bottom, right? Yes. But this spiral always is going to exist there, like a little vortex. Yeah, you, you can make it out, but some variation of you is, will always be in there. No matter what. <sighs> like, as soon as time travel happens... There's now some eternal time mechanism that will never stop because by its nature, it has to exist. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it, at least in, in this conception of it, right? Like, because uh, Back to the Future uses branching timelines rather than one that gets twisted. I took a class in college about movies and time and okay. how, so we would start the class by doing a lecture either about how a culture perceives time or mythologies of time and Zeno's paradox and all that sort of stuff. And then we would then watch a movie that kind of um, represented that. So I, for my final essay, I wrote a paper about uh, Zeno's paradox where you can always split the distance in half between something, but yes, let's okay. say you run twice as fast as the turtle, but in the time that you've split the distance in half, the turtle moves forward, and you cut it in half, and it moves forward, and you'll never actually get it. I compared that to uh, Groundhog Day. It was one of my favorite papers that I ever wrote for school. Uh, but that class made me realize that if I'm ever presented with the option of time travel... I'm running away screaming. <laughs> there's just, there's too many paradoxes. Even just like the old thing of like the, the back to the future grandfather paradox. Like mm -hmm. you go back in time and you kill your grandfather. Can you do that? Because by killing your grandfather, that then eliminates your existence. Right. So how the fuck does that work? Another thing about time travel, which we'll see more in the next movie, which I think is interesting is that, some scientists believe that time travel is possible, but 
you can only time you can only travel back in time to where the machine actually existed. So we haven't time traveled yet because the machine doesn't exist. So that's right. why nobody has visited us from the future because time travel doesn't exist here yet. Yes. And so you'll never be able to go back to the 1800s or whatever because it doesn't exist. It, it, uh, <laughs> time. Oh my god. I, I can't wait for this episode to be over. I'm just gonna I'm gonna watch something that's like easy and nice and gentle and linear and I'm not gonna think about anything. It well, that's funny because I was thinking of not the exact opposite, but where we started with uh go clear back to Tarkovsky with Stalker, right? Like, Tarkovsky's whole thing was showing you time passing. And that it is linear and that it is precious because we only have these few minutes. And there's like, there's some really good video essays about um, Tarkovsky's use of time and slow, slowing everything down and making you sit through it. But still getting to uh at the heart of stalker the question the paradox of if you got to this room that gave you anything you wanted could you do it you know it's still like approaching these big sci-fi questions but through an entirely different stylistic way which is what i love about movies overall that you can have these two different approaches that both are incredibly valid. I feel like this one is much more of a roller coaster ride, uh, and yeah, I think do you, you think, can take it. What, do you think Tarkovsky would have enjoyed time crimes? I don't think he would have. I I think <laughs> he, I think he would have been pretentious about it and been like, <laughs> no, it's or it would have been a if he made it, it would have been a four and a half hour long movie. Because we would watch each 90-minute loop the the whole way through. Which, I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't hate that movie. (laughs) (laughs) If there was a series that did that, that would be astonishing. You know, that I think your your reference to to Tarkovsky is really on point. And it's been six or nine months since I watched um, Solaris. So I'm definitely due for another Tarkovsky. And I've had... I've had that book that he wrote about his like his feelings on time. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book about it, but I've been waiting to watch more of his movies before I get get around to it. So that's a good as opposed to like going with like some dumb comedy. I should give myself a Tarkovsky now just to like, all right, you fucked your brain with time. <laughs> now let's just slow everything down. Uh-huh. The um he's also on my mind because there's another movie uh, written by the Strugatsky brothers who wrote Stalker uh, that a friend recently gave to me and that I haven't watched yet, but it's another Russian, like, 1980, uh, early 80s sci-fi movie that I'm excited to watch. Really? Yes. I read that book. It was called, the book that Stalker was based on was called oh, yeah. Roadside Picnic. Pretty good. Uh, the movie and the game are better, though, I would say. Um, so my next note now is after he gets 
Hector 2 gets into the car. He then drives down the road, sees the woman on the bicycle, stops. A mysterious red van hits him, which, of course, I didn't really think about it at the time because I had forgotten that Hector 3 exists. Yes. But, of course, if he's going to get, like, rear-ended and then the driver just peels out, it's got to be him doing it to himself. And it is. The the fact that um, everything ties up like that, it's, on one hand, you could just be like, oh, well, that's convenient <laughs> that everything does that. But on the other hand, it's really fun. It makes it like a bottle episode. Roller coaster is the perfect description for this movie. Yeah. It's, I watched it with two friends and one was first time in it. And okay. she had a wonderful time. That's because awesome. this this is such a fun movie to show people because it doesn't waste any time. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does. This movie jumps into it so fast. And then it's... I think once the paradoxes start to hit, it gets even more fun. Because it mm -hmm. is confusing. But the fact that we're then rehashing things that we've already seen, we have familiarity with what's going to happen where the characters are. I think the sense of location in this movie is also really excellent. You got oh, yeah. the house, the woods, the facility, and then the, the tower on top of the facility. And that's it. But we really I feel like we flesh out all those areas. So when I was watching it, um, because I forgot about Hector 3, I was halfway through the movie, right, is when your second loop really starts. And I was like, oh, so the second half of the movie, plus a couple minutes, is just going to be us seeing the other angle of what happens. But it's not. Right. Like, Yeah, I, just him getting his, him succeeding, com accomplishing his mission. Yeah. And then movie over. Yes. I remembered him sitting in the chairs with his wife, but I thought that was just after he got Hector 1 into the machine. He then went home and was like... Oh, honey, I, I wish I could tell you what kind of day I've had. Yes. I did not remember the the, the wrench, man. The Hector 3 wrench. Yeah. Oh, my God. And knowing that, because it does add, like, another... I think the movie would have been fun, even if it was just two loops. But to throw that still, third I one would, in there. I would still recommend this movie yes. highly with two loops. But with three... This is just on like a fun basis. This has to be like a top, I don't know, top 25, definitely top 50, just like fun movies that I've seen. Yeah. If I just wanted, also this one is, you know, sometimes you love a movie and it's like, I feel like half my friends would really love this mm -hmm. and the other half just wouldn't get it. I showed my friend's Body Double. I just watched Body Double again, the De Palma movie yeah, with a yeah. bunch of people on Discord. It's it's a fucking riot. I love that movie. Each time I watch it, it gets better. I showed it to two friends in town here, and they're like, that might have been the worst movie we've ever seen. <laughs> they were putting it on the level of The Room, the Tommy Wiseau. Oh I was my like, god. I, I don't think you guys get what you just watched. Because yes. <laughs> if you got it, you would... You would love it. And I know it's like weird and bad and Craig Wasson, 
but that's why it's good. Yes. <laughs> um, have you seen the De Palma documentary? No, I the oh. um, the only education I have really is from with Gorley and Rust because I guess Paul is a real De Palma head, and so he really went in depth about his background and like that movie was kind of a response to him getting a divorce at the time mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So interesting guy. I have not seen, I don't know what De Palma movies I've seen outside of Carrie and body double. Okay. Um, you've never seen the untouchables. That seems like a Sean oh, movie. Scarface untouchables is definitely a Sean movie. Okay. That, that was like a Sean movie when I was 13 or 14. Yes. And just got a DVD player, and that was definitely yeah. Yep. Um, the I don't like Scarface. Uh, watching the documentary, which is primarily just De Palma in a room talking, like most of the documentary is just him, and it's so good. It's his personal recollections of making all the movies, and he's very unvarnished about like. Oh yeah, I got fucked over over here, and but that taught me not to get fucked over later. <laughs> like, and uh, early on, he like stuck to his guns about something and wound up getting fired off of a movie. And then there's a comparison later where he's like, "But I remembered," <laughs> and caved in eventually. Uh, I think maybe making Black Dahlia or something. But yeah, I'm yeah, I'm a big. Uh, proponent of De Palma. I think he's a fascinating filmmaker. I've heard people talk about Blowout recently. I'd like to watch that. I did watch Snake Eyes in the past year, and mm -hmm. I find that one outside of the the long shot through the whole boxing MG, yeah. whatever. I find it to be very forgettable because just thinking about it now, <laughs> I just remember like Gary Sinise and Nicolas Cage, and I think I think Gary Sinise and Nicolas Cage are like, they're too close to type. Yeah. You're, you're, you're casting like two guys who like look alike and they kind of sound, I don't know. It just didn't quite work. Gary Sinise for a while might've been my favorite actor. <laughs> I can totally see that. He's, he's one of those guys, right? Of, like my friends and I went to the theater and I remember it was orange County had just come out. But my friends and I wanted to see The Imposter with Gary Sinise. And so we went to the theater and the, we were like, three tickets for The Imposter, please. And the guy's like, whoa, I thought you guys were going to see Orange County. And <laughs> so there was like six people in there on a Friday night checking out this Gary Sinise. Uh, I think it's an Asimov story. I don't remember. But from what I remember, it was a pretty workable, good sci-fi movie. And around that time... I think it's around that time when you're a kid and you want to make something your own. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to follow the mainstream and say my favorite actor is Leo DiCaprio or whatever. Right. So I was just like, yeah, Lieutenant Dan and the imposter. I, I fucking love Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> that was me with uh, Steve Buscemi early on. I remember Ooh, like, do you know that Bushimi's in Con Air? Yes. Yes, I do. It's a very good Bushimi role. I am so excited to talk <laughs> Con Air and Twister, especially after this week. That's a great follow up to this week. Next week's episode. Well, 
I was I was going to suggest since you haven't seen Blowout, you need to do a Blowout slash the conversation, uh, because you get all of your dudes doing technological stuff, uh, being like paranoid and crazy. That's okay. I am. I'm not going to lie though. I wait. Is that Travolta? Oh. Ooh. Yeah, I, I see. I see Travolta top build on Blowout, and it immediately takes the wind out of my sails. Really? Yeah. Oh, by the way, we watched Saturday Night Fever for Sunday Morning Movie Club about six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's a heinous movie. It's like truly awful and racist and that misogynistic so and dark. at one point there's like sexual assault happening and john travolta is just like that's what you fucking get and it's like why is this movie revered this is terrible yeah. this is like fucking awful i think everybody remembers the soundtrack and john travolta going like oh we'll watch the hair and forgets everything else that happens in that movie it has to be. Yeah. It it has to be that it's just selective memory from that because watching it I was I was blown away with like how shitty every single character in it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's an astonishingly harsh movie. Let's uh. see. Um so the speaking of harsh movies, uh this woman's about to go through some bad times here. Oof. So after he gets knocked off the road, she finds him. She uh, luckily has the giant pair of scissors because she's a hair cutter. And uh, I like that he finds the duster. That's a pretty sweet duster. Yeah, I like it is. that he finds it in the trash that we later see Hector 3 knocked the trash cans over, which then leads to Hector 2 finding his duster. And God also, if dang. I saw that duster lying there like that, mm-hmm. I, I might pick it up and wear it. Yeah. Even if it is a trash duster, it's pretty damn cool. I mean, but would you wear it with your big pink face mask? <laughs> I think this would be a really fun costume that nobody would get. <laughs> so I often, I'll, I'll think like, oh, this would be a cool costume. This would be fun. This would be neat. Um, the problem is, if you have a beard, and you want to Which keep, I barely do anymore. And you want to keep your beard. Yeah. You there's not a lot you can do. You have to be a bearded man. I mean, I there's no way I could like go for one night like beardless. It's gonna take me, you know, six months to get back to my beard level. What just put a bald cap on. <laughs> a facial bald cap? Yeah, that must exist. Uh-huh. You'll just have a little bit of like a bigger chin. Yes. Speaking of bigger chins, yeah. So the beard, I was enjoying growing the beard out. It was the longest it had been for a while. But it's starting to stick out at like the corner of my jaws up by the sideburns. So I tried to just like trim a little bit of that stick outness to give it a little bit cleaner. And then I caught a glimpse from myself 45 degrees in the mirror. And I had somehow cut it so that I just had like like a giant like chin, Mm -hmm. a giant like bulbous chin of hair. But nothing, nothing on the sides. It just looked fucked up. Uh-huh. I fucked up. I fucked up. So <laughs> I had to just reset it. I had to reset it. I don't know, though. I don't know if I looked good with it. My beard gets really curly. 
big. Yeah. I don't know. But it's not all straight like yours. You got to tame it. I was using bombs and oils Tinctures. and combing in combing my beard. Mhm. Uh it was just unruly. That's it's it's a commitment. I hate to be a beard guy despite the fact that I'm a beard guy. You don't hate it. <laughs> don't it, lie to me. You, you can't lie to me. We've been running this show for over a year now. <laughs> me and my beard pretensions. Okay, so he forces the girl to go with him into the forest. Uh, she takes off. He eats shit and breaks his nose. Um, and then he makes her take his shirt off and says he, she's, he's sorry. And then she runs off again. He tackles her and knocks her out. And this is now where we're going to get Hector 1 approaching her naked body out. And the, uh, the fact, like, I think the idea... I don't like how icky the stuff is with this woman. Yes. But I like the fact that he has to do it, even though he's clearly a good guy who does not want to do this. Yes. But he feels like he must because of time and the paradox that he's in. Mm -hmm. So I, I do like that aspect of it. Yeah, it's a little creepy when he takes her underwear off. As that's what I say, the underwear. I was like, ugh. But, but she wasn't wearing underwear when he found her the first time, so... But he was the one who did that. So... Uh. <laughs> 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 oh, so he sneaks up and stabs himself very nonchalantly, and then Hector 1 takes off. And this is where we get the, the multiple peekaboos before he... Before she, uh, before Hector one sees the right one. Mm -hmm. And he finally, he takes a little nap here, doesn't he? I think so. there's a couple points where, uh, he like falls down a hill and gets knocked out <laughs> and just kind of disappears yeah. for a while. So this part confused me. He decides to go back to his house that night. Yes. Why? Okay, that's the exact question I had. Hector goes back to his house, but he's still, still all bandaged up. No one's going to recognize him. Why? That's exactly what I wrote. But also, the 90 minutes has not fully passed. So maybe he thinks that upon waking up, that it's now been a few hours and the paradox is complete and now he can go home. That would be my only reasoning. But why wouldn't he walk around to the front of the house and, like, he comes in like an intruder. He breaks down the fence and he's wearing the duster and wearing the mask. Like, I don't know. And <laughs> when, can we get Nacho on the phone? <laughs> when Hector 3 comes out of the tank... Or is when he goes in the tank, he takes his, his sweater off and has a dark undershirt underneath. So we can easily distinguish Hector's 1, 2, and 3 by what clothes they're wearing. I appreciated that very much as somebody who recently watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And that movie does almost no work to tell you what time period it is if it's a flashback or not yes and it's like well fuck you you figure it out and it's like but i'm dumb i can't <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Do you think we could get Nacho on the show? I would like to think so. What is he doing? The last thing he did was Colossal, as far as I can tell, which I would love to rewatch. Which is Colossal? I mean, he's done some other stuff, but that was his last big one that I heard of. That was the Anne Hathaway alcoholic movie. Okay, and then yeah. she happens to summon the power of like a kaiju. Of course. Have you seen it? I have not. Ooh, we should watch it sometime. It's good. I, but I do remember that poster. Yeah, it's good. Oh, he did a he did Puka for on yeah. that's a on Hulu show, which I we don't have to oh, get okay. into your 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 feelings on Hulu. Hey, man, if they would just take off their little fucking Hulu tag in the bottom right of the screen <laughs> when I'm watching a movie, I would still be paying for their service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I'm still holding on to such a grudge over watching <laughs> Palm Springs with the Hulu tag in the bottom right. You know, I stopped the movie and torrented it because <laughs> I was like, fuck you. I refuse to watch this movie with this goddamn Hulu logo on the bottom right. Uh-huh. That's, that, you don't do that in movies. What are you doing? You're breaking you the illusion. You got me angry, Josh. You got me really angry. <laughs> oh, my whole point was that you didn't have to talk about Hulu. <laughs> um, so he goes into the house at night. He gets bashed by a table, which we think his wife throws at him. Uh, which the nonchalance later in the third act of Hector 3 just casually throwing this table all the violence that hector imposes on himself is so casual the way he stabs himself in the arm the way he throws this table Mm -hmm. because if you're beating the shit out of yourself you kind of want to do the bare minimum yes you don't want to really fuck yourself yeah uh and he is just doing it to get through doing it like when he throws the table, he's like, okay, uh, I got hit with a table right about now. And just kind of tosses it. Like, Yeah, no, he's just... He's, it's like when you, you're playing a video game and you got a quest. And you're just going down like the checklist. Right? First you got to do this, and then I got to go grab these scissors and stab this guy. And then I have to get the car into the woods and then go home, the table, and just pop, 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 pop going down the list. Uh, so at this point, Hector 2 finds the walkie-talkie and starts talking to the tech and tells the tech, you need to get Hector 1 up into the, into the tower, into the time machine by making up this story. Um, so he- when Hector 1 goes back into the hatch, uh, the, when Hector 2 wants to get, oh, we skipped the dead person. Oh, yes. His wife. His, his wife dies falling off the roof here. So he goes back to the time machine, wants to get back in. The tech says you can't. And he's like, there's a fucking battery. Where is it? It's missing. What'd you do with it? Tech guy's like, I threw it out. And then a minute later, he's like, wait, you threw the battery out before you even knew I was coming. Uh-huh. Why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> And this is where we, the, the whole reveal of three Hectors, and this is where my brain really, like, 
started to fold in on itself like a dying star. <laughs> <laughs> when when Hector three and it's in my notes, I was like previous Hector Hector blob Hector two Hector calling Prime. them one two and three is great. It does help keep them in in line in my head. Yes, but the fact that Hector three was just Hector two. <laughs> Messes me because we're following Hector Prime through the whole thing. Hector Hector Three, if you want to go based on like time, Hector Three is almost the first Hector because he arrives before Hector One and Two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is fucked. Yep. Up. Yep. I I can't. And I really like when he bonks the tech on the collarbone with the crowbar. Oh my god. Just, just a, a just a nice little bonk, just mm-hmm. to be like, stop fucking with me. Tell me the truth. And he, he's like, well, you told me to throw the battery out, dude. What the fuck? And then later, when he says, uh, "You must stop Hector from getting back in the tank at all costs," uh, and then he throws the the walkie-talkie as Hector three. He throws the walkie-talkie, and he's like, "There, at least somebody will slap you around now," <laughs> like right. because he knows it's not going to stop him. Um, so he's about to smash the walkie-talkie but they find the battery so now Hector 2 gets into the tank to become Hector 3 going all the way back to the start and now this is where we get Hector 3 waking up banging on the inside of the tank it's it's just beautiful like the economy of using that one set three different ways like they show it from different angles each time yeah i like the flashback that we get where you see hector three's hand as yes. he's like hiding behind the shelf and i didn't go back to rewatch to see if you could see that oh i didn't in either. the first or second act or if that's a new camera angle which then gives us that that knowledge uh how funny was it now that hector three is like I gotta get down to the house before you guys. So I'm gonna take this little golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> that shot where he's driving the golf cart as the tech and Hector 2 are looking out down the hill. Mm-hmm. It, it just cracked me up. Of Hector 3 is so fucked up. He's so exhausted. He's just, he thought he was done with this day. And now he has to do all this shit again from the very beginning mm-hmm. and get it right two times over now. He, he just looks done with it. Yes. <laughs> But it is. It's like such a uh, there's a few like just straight up comedic shots in it or things that kind of make you giggle. And that's definitely one of them. That's like it's almost a Wes Anderson kind of shot. Yeah. So um, he finds the red van, gets in it, ends up uh, knocking Hector two into the woods, as uh, our friend Jen pointed out. Hector three in the red car causes the accident now which gives him the wound but he already has the wound wait hector 3's forehead is already split open but that hasn't happened yet until he hits hector 2 into the woods which then splits his forehead open so hector 3 has the wounds from an accident that has not happened until he makes it happen but for him it happened 25 minutes ago but who was the one who did it the first time? I don't know. I don't 
know. It was God. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. You have to stop asking questions. It is. Like, this This movie works perfectly self-contained, and I feel like um, it's it's a way homer, right? Like, it doesn't get you until later where you go, oh, shit, wait, does that work? But it doesn't matter while you're watching the movie, and that's all that, that counts. Yeah, it's funny. You call it a way homer as a movie that you think about on the way home. Yeah. I thought you were making it a point that so many time travel movies have grandiose ideas and this movie is literally about a guy just trying to get back to his house back to his home with his normal life there's no trying to solve a problem there's no going back in time to assassinate someone evil right it's just this guy trying to fix his life that this tech fucked up yeah i was but did the tech I was happy with both these movies and the fact that they are very self-contained and don't seem to like reference anything else in the larger world. Really? They're like, they're just telling the story they're telling and they're out. I I appreciated that. So after the car accident, Hector three falls asleep. And then the girl wakes him up and I don't know why she's still hanging with him, but she is. And he takes her back to his house. And this is where he finds his wife and tells his wife she needs to hide in the tool shed and don't come out. And you see his face drop when she says, I already called the police. Yes. Of like, oh, this is inevitable, isn't it? The police are coming no matter what I do. I can't stop that. Because he already has heard the police sirens. Hector 2 heard the police sirens. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. When he was with the tech. Oh, my. Okay. So, um, Hector 3 climbs. He sets up the ladder, climbs up it, finds the girl hiding in the basement. uh, I'm not in the basement, in the bedroom across the way from him. And then this is where he puts the red jacket on her. Cuts her hair, which, I mean, Jesus, a guy cutting your hair in this scenario, if this woman's not already terrified, yeah. <laughs> what's she thinking now with this guy dressing her? Um, throws the table and tells her to climb up onto the roof. And this is, I thought, I really like the way that this movie ends where we stick with Hector 3. So as the giant climax of this movie happens, which we've already seen, which is Hector 2 pulling this woman off the roof, he's just hanging with his wife, and he takes her out to the chairs. Yes. And we're just going to sit here, and we're not going to fuck with the timeline, because we're almost out of it. And it's like, he's realized that he can't, this is as close as he can get to finding a solution to this, is to sacrifice one woman to save his wife. So, do you think Hector's a bad guy? I think in order to be a bad guy, he would have had to intentionally kill that woman. Or to degrade her and do all the things. But I feel like by the time we've caught up with him, he did none of those things on purpose. Like, he 
does them because he, he, they already happened. <laughs> I agree. I from what we're shown of him of Hector one, he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Yes, and I don't even fully blame him for his actions as Hector two or three because. Just you and me talking about this now, and we have all of the information and knowledge about the situation, and we're not a part of it. You and I still don't know what to do. So how could you expect Hector, in the middle of this, experiencing it with no knowledge, how could you expect him to do the right thing? I don't even know what the right thing would be. Right. I don't even know if there is a possibility of doing the right thing. Right, because as we talked about before, there doesn't seem to be any any way to change anything. Yes, he's he's lucky to have gotten out the other side of it. I think. And is there a way that nobody dies? But if nobody dies, does it end? Well, if nobody dies, then he doesn't go back. To be Hector three. See, if if Hector decides <laughs> the best way is to just kill himself at some point, what then happens? Is like then does that erase the time paradox, or is there still going to be a paradox which results in an infinite loop of him getting into yes. a time machine and then killing and himself, himself over and over and over as the rest of the world continues forward in time? Also, like, just the fact, it's fucked up, like, just the fact that Hector did this means that his wife is now, or the entire world is now stuck in a time loop. Because there's now a 90-minute time loop that will exist forever, that we all exist in, even if we're not a part of it. Because the world is repeating itself. Okay. See, now it's got me thinking of, like, the ripples of those policemen who are coming to the house now. I don't know. What do you tell the cops? <laughs> what, yeah. If you're Hector, what do you tell the cops? Because your face is fucked up and there is a dead woman on your property. And there's going to be signs of a struggle with you because it's your DNA and your fingerprints. There, I mean, you can say there was a masked man... But that masked man was you. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, so, I, don't, I don't think it's good news for Hector. No. One, two, or three. No. What a movie, huh? Jesus Christ, what a picture. So where do, where do you uh, come out on this one? It holds up so well. I loved it, and I still love it. It's... It's like a four and a half, solid, solid four and a half for me. I, I think this might be the best time travel movie I've seen, and it's certainly one of the best demonstrations of a time paradox, which breaks your brain, but is still simple enough for you to understand it at the same time. And I think that's the real magic of this movie, is that they were able to find that middle ground. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, I'm, I would do three and a half or four. I don't know if I could rewatch it a whole bunch, which is kind of like what my scale is based on. 
Yeah. Um, but it definitely is a a good roller coaster and dipping your toes into, like I said, primer goes too far the other way and gets too many tech details. This leaves them for you to figure out and doesn't complicate the the movie with it. I I can't wait. There's certain movies where it's like, oh, I'd love to show this to like my niece and nephews and stuff as they are slowly getting into their teenage years and stuff. And just mm-hmm. this is a movie that I know I will watch a few times more in my life. I hope so, because it, I, I want to keep showing this to people. I think this is a great movie to watch with someone who's never seen it and just gauge their response to it and listen to them ask the same questions and feel bewildered just as we do right now. (laughs) That's the fun of it. All right. All right. Should we take a little five minute or let's take a couple minutes. Ow. Smack my headphones on the pop screen. Okay. Are you ready for this? Bum 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 bum. You want me to leave that in? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if that was something you'd be ashamed of or proud of. No, I feel pretty good about it. (laughs) Uh, You introduced this one. All right. Next up, we have Predestination from 2014, directed by the Spirig Brothers, uh, based on... A story by Robert Heinlein. I did not notice. Did not know that. That's from what I understand. the The whole terrorism plot is not in the original. So even if you had run across it, it might feel different. Um, and I know he also has a couple other stories that kind of delve into the same um, twistiness with regards to identity. So I don't think I've ever read. I have not read a lot of classic sci-fi, the Asimovs and Heinleins and mm-hmm. Bradburys of the world. There's some definitely started, good stuff in there. I started Fahrenheit Fahrenheit 451, and but it was back when I wasn't really reading, and I just lost my reading motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, I should get that one again. And uh, Martian Chronicles. I think we read part of it in school. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember what it was that we read, but we read a little bit of Martian Chronicles. Uh, if I read it again, I probably could find the the passages. Uh, but I was spending too much time reading uh, The Dark Tower when I was in school, rather than like the things I was supposed to read. So The Dark Tower, they they never planned to make a second movie. They just took like eight books and wanted to make one 90-minute movie out of them? I don't know. Is that I, what they did? I don't know. The movie doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. You're one of those, huh? I've never seen it. Uh, I probably will. I do think Idris Elba was an interesting choice. Um, and I, I really like that guy. So you uh, hear that potential guest for future podcast episodes. <laughs> you could choose the Dark Tower and just piss Josh off. <laughs> you could get me real riled up. 
That'd be fun. Just talk for an hour and a half about a movie that riles you up and makes you mad. <laughs> I don't know that I get that riled. That'd be interesting. It's got to be something really pedantic to get me riled. So, this movie, did you... Neither one of us had a history with this one, did we? No, I, I suggested it as a pairing to time crimes because I was just trying to find like a, a mindfuck movie and I saw a lot of people recommend this one mm -hmm. and I just decided to go for it. I, I don't even know if I knew it was Ethan Hawke, uh, but I, I like Ethan Hawke. How are you on him? Oh, I like Ethan Hawke quite a bit. Um... He's made so many movies. It's crazy. He's had a hell of a career. Yeah, and I think his his latter day stuff is interesting. Like, I guess I mean, is this considered latter day at this point? You know, like twenty fourteen. This years is pretty ago? late in his career. Yeah. Okay. Because he, the only other Spirit movie, brothers movie I've seen, he was in, which was uh, the vampire one, Daywalkers. Oh yes, yeah. Which I remember being okay. Yeah, I think that I didn't hate it. it. It didn't leave much of an impact. I think all of this vampire smoked cigarettes, because if you're eternal, why not? Yes. Which is pretty good. That's not bad. Uh, so yeah, this is also starring Sarah Snook. Uh, <laughs> Snook, if you're in the United States. Snook, <laughs> if you're in the UK or Australia. <laughs> That's a snooker, snooker joke. Wow, okay. <laughs> And Noah Taylor, who Noah Taylor will always have a soft spot in my heart because of Vanilla Sky. He has an awesome little cameo role in that movie, which actually Vanilla Sky would have fit very well as like a triple feature with these two. Oh, totally. Um, so Predestination is... A movie that I don't know how the hell I'm going to talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> Watching this movie was... I, I was constantly just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? No, what the fuck? <laughs> just, that was basically me watching this the whole time. <laughs> okay, so... How were you again? Were you like, what the, f what the fuck? Yeah. What the. Oh, and then, uh, and then a few times just like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think because I was so in the, the twisty mindset, um, I called most of what happened ahead of time and just enjoyed watching it play out. All right. So like. The tw All right, there's some twists that I thought were obvious because there's only three characters in this movie. Yes. But the way they twisted was not obvious, is how I'll put it. Like, the whole, the fizzle bomber is out, and Ethan Hawke is some kind of time cop who can use time travel to try to stop the fizzle bomber from bombing people and in 1975 in new york there's going to be or there was an explosion that killed 10,000 people and so right off the bat 
I because they don't show the fizzle bomber at the start and it's just like back shots and a person in a coat and stuff. I was like, that that's probably Ethan Hawk would be my guess. Is like that's the twist. Mm-hmm. But I did not I didn't see the rest of it coming. This what the what the fuck? If, what is this movie, Josh? If the movie wasn't called Predestination, I think that I wouldn't have tried to figure out any of the twists. I, that is a good point. I think watching Time Crimes going into this with the title Predestination, yes, I was on the lookout more than I normally am. Because normally I just let movies wash over me, and yep. almost every twist catches me off guard because I just don't try to solve things. But this was a little different. So, right at the top, we have, uh, it's, the movie is very pretty. Like, the, whoever the DP was on this, with the, um, that main set that we come back to, I guess, three different times with the, uh, where they're setting up the bomb. Oh, it's such, it's such like a basic bland room, but it feels very striking. The concrete floor. Yeah. And the barrels uh, set up and everything. And like the the way the light is kind of streaking through it and all that yeah, stuff. It's really yeah. cool looking. I also read that like the bar was just excellently shot and lit. And it just has that like warm, cozy brown vibes mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, it's, it's a good looking movie for sure. So Ethan Hawke. Okay, let me see if I can get this straight. Yeah. Because... Yeah, I, oh, by the way, we're going to have to just call people by their... Should we just call them Hawk and Snook? I don't know. Because her name is Jane and then John. He doesn't have a name. Yes. He's just like bartender. Yeah, he's just listed as the bartender. I called him like the agent or Ethan, I think, through all, through all my notes. Okay, yeah, I just listed him as Hawk. So, all right. Okay. So, Ethan Hawk tries to contain this a bomb blast in a special suitcase which looks awesome yeah um or at least we assume that it's ethan hawk at the beginning because we don't actually see his face we don't see anybody's face in the very beginning we see the bomb suitcase and the violin case in close-up and everything else is like you don't really see faces um which comes into play later because the bomb goes off and then a mysterious man comes out of the shadows and slides the violin case over to the agent. Yeah, we see we see one face here. Uh, it's melted. Yes. is melted. Yeah, and that is... And the hair is like all burnt off and like there's a bunch of short little crispy looking guys up there. Yeah. It is wild. So I thought the agent pushing the time machine here, I thought this would then, the agent would be able to go back in time to a time where they were not injured. Yes. Is how I thought it was going to work. But it's not. No. They jump forward in time to where technology is better, so that way they can have a kind of face-off-esque operation. And do full facial reconstruction. Yes. They rebuild the agent as Ethan Hawke now. Yeah, and which he looks like Frankenstein's monster. 
Did they have the way, like, the stitches in his is... eyes? Huh? Did they have stitches in his eyes? I don't know. What were those? Like, you talk about, like, the bags. There's, like, stitches under the bags of his eyes. Yeah. In, like, the... I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> Okay. And there's not a lot of answers in this week's episode. Uh, also, at first, I could not figure out if we were going forward or backward in time. And then I realized we're doing both. I don't know. Because he jumps into, I think, 1985, which is the future. Uh, 85 is the zero point. Yes. 85 is the year the the machine gets made and you can go something like, oh, you can go plus minus 53 years from from that zero point yes which i don't know why 50 i bet there's an answer for why it's 53 yeah. i don't know the answer though it, um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> already already with the uh. that noise just said everything yes um hey how cool is after his facial reconstruction happens i i guess years pass as he heals but eventually he gets back on the job and there's a quote. He says something about we were born into the job and it's important that he carries two guns. And but I, I really like this outfit that he gets where it's like this cool, like blue shirt, mm-hmm. brown vest look that he has going. Mm-hmm. Pretty styling. Uh, he he does say the line. My own mother wouldn't recognize me when he gets his new face. There's so many Easter eggs yep. in, of dialogue in this movie that will then... Oh, Easter egg. What uh-huh. came first? The, uh-huh. the chicken, the egg, the or rooster. the rooster? Uh-huh. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is where he goes back to 1970 to where I guess he's a bartender. And this is where we are introduced to Sarah Snook, who is... I don't know how to gender this movie, so I I don't I'm just I'm just gonna say that I'm gonna be wrong because yes. I don't think I don't know if she identifies as a man or if that was just forced upon her as it seemed to be by the '60s medical community, and so I don't I I, I guess I'll use he or she her I don't I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Like I I just don't know what to do with this movie. Yeah, I don't think there's a good way to do it. Like practically, um, I think if I saw this in 2014, it would have blown my mind. Like the reveal of uh, Jane or John, the reveal of John having been Jane, would have blown my mind. Had I not seen Succession, that's, I would not have spotted her in this bar scene. That's but the fact that I exactly knew she problem. was in this movie. There's a couple. It's really like in the eyes. Yeah. But overall, her performance as a man here, I think, is really, really, really good. And just the way, like I'm doing right now, where she's leaning on her elbows on the bar. And just kind of leaned over, draped over the bar. It's it, it's like that's that's dude stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Just the way she carries herself. 
I think her performance is really, really strong and a difficult one for this movie. Oh, for sure. And I feel like, uh, yeah, if I didn't know she was in this movie at all, and then I saw that and I was like, this dude looks like Sarah Snook. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. Uh, but the, the difference that you see between her, like her unpolished version, her after she's gone to finishing school for a little bit, and then her as John are all physically and they inhabit the world differently. All three of those people do. Yeah. And that's like, that's like the real craft of acting is when an actor figures out their character enough that the body language mm-hmm. tells you what's going on with them and not not just the words and the big facial expressions but just every little minor thing about them yes so she starts telling her story and she bets the bartender that uh she'll get a bottle if it's the best story he's ever heard and so she starts telling him that she was left on a doorstep of an orphanage as a baby um as a teenager, she almost got hit by a car. Then she walked into a room and saw two people having sex, and she says it confused her. Uh, <laughs> kids are cruel. She gets a complex math question correct, and then the little girl in front of her calls her the R word. It's like, yes. But, but it was the right answer. <laughs> uh, fucking kids, man. Uh, she's a strong fighter, stronger than the boys, beats the shit out of a lot of people. And this is where, uh, Noah Taylor shows up from Vanilla Sky and other movies. And he talks about trying to find women for science and math who also have strong physical abilities to potentially join the Space Corps. Is that what they're calling it? Yes, the Space Corps. So she thinks she's being recruited to be an astronaut, essentially. Yes. Um... Which the whole thing is kind of weird because they they hinge a lot on the idea that um, Jane has never thought of herself as beautiful before. She talks a lot about not looking into the mirror and not wanting to look in the mirror. Which, yeah, but that definitely helps plausibility, like plausible deniability later on in the movie. If you consider this character as a woman who hasn't looked at herself in a mirror in years, so she doesn't really know what she looks like. Yes. It, it helps with some explanations later on. It, it does, but uh, it's kind of like you could have cast all kinds of people, but Sarah Snook, I'm sorry, she's an attractive lady. Like, you can't cook that, cut that cake any other way. She is a good-looking woman. She's very striking. And I'll say there's, there's been a few outfits on Succession that have distracted me from the plot of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's that's, that's a good way to say it. it. It's very good. <laughs> I'm not a super weirdo about her. I'm not, like, staring at her in every scene. But there's just, every once in a while, they'll put her in a white dress or something, and it's just like, dang, <laughs> booty. <laughs> uh, I also, I wanted to bring up here, I get Noah Taylor and Ben Mendelsohn confused. Well, 
You're now making me look up Ben Mendelsohn because I I know the name. Okay. Uh, Ben Mendel. Oh, the guy from uh, what what show was he just in? He was the too- Outsider. He was in the Outsider. Yeah. God, I tried to erase that show from my brain. Talk about a show that pissed me off. Fuck the Outsider. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, because it was good. It, 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 that show, the most devious thing that show did was have an excellent first two episodes, oh. which made the word of mouth so strong that everyone started watching it, including me. And then it just goes off the rails and is so boring and meandering and nonsensical after that. And they got poor Patty Considine, who's one of my favorite actors, to do a southern accent. And it's awful. And it's just like, couldn't you just make him like an expat English guy who happens to live in this town? Couldn't you just like write one line of dialogue so he right. could just have a, a regular accent and not trying to do this American drawl that just doesn't quite sound right? The uh, there are a couple pictures of Ben Mendelsohn where he's got like long hair and facial hair. Where it makes the him and Noah Taylor even more confusing. Noah Taylor is also in one of the darkest movies I can recall seeing called Red, White, and Blue, which he was excellent in, and I've kind of wanted to rewatch parts of it, but then when I think about what that movie was and the things that happen in it, I'm just like, I don't need to rewatch that. That that's too dark. It's too fucked up. Really? But he's that's where I really spotted him because like, oh, that's the tech support guy from Vanilla Sky, but he's fully long haired, bearded, and he has a different energy in that movie. Uh, he's he's really, really scary and intense in it. If you're a Noah Taylor guy, I highly recommend it. Just with the caveat that it, it's dark, dark as shit. I, I do. Well, it depends. I think there's a, a series that I've hopped off of watching because uh it's not dark it's just sad and the fact that it's a true story is upsetting to me and what is it uh the shrink next door haven't heard of it uh based on a true stories are a little rough for me sometimes yes and that's exactly and i listened to the podcast that it was based on or based on the actual story and found it really interesting but to see it play out over so many episodes uh, and it stars Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd and it's depressing as shit. <laughs> it's, really? Yes. It's kind of astonishing. Okay. It's really well done, but I, as of last night, I think that I, I don't know if I can finish it. Will Ferrell does depressing well though. I think yeah, he with, does. Um, what was that book movie? He's in the book movie. Stranger and then every- fiction. Stranger than fiction and everything must go. His oh, alcoholic yard sale movie. Yeah, the Raymond Carver thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna start the 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 cosmonaut. Oh, well, that would be if she was Russian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the astronaut. <laughs> the the astronaut tests. I like when they make them all wear VR headsets. And they're, like, sending them from the Earth into the stars, through space, through wormholes, just to see what their reaction is, and the one lady pukes. Yes. And uh, uh, Jane laughs at her. <laughs> yeah. They all make them run on treadmills, and she runs 
at a brisk pace for over two hours, which, of all the things that are unbelievable in this movie, that was the most unbelievable and <laughs> least plausible things. <laughs> it's humanly impossible to run for over two hours. <laughs> I've never seen nobody, it happen. Nobody has ever done it, ever. <laughs> you cannot change my mind. That's uh, This weekend, Elizabeth is doing a 10K, and I'm like, that's insane. That's at least... At least 5K is too many. <laughs> I agree. That's six miles. I, yeah. I'll hike six miles. Mm-hmm. I'll walk six miles. I'm not fucking jogging six miles. No. Not, not for <laughs> me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so after this, they get some pretty cool looking outfits. These white bodysuit outfits with the blue stripes with the blue hats did you think this was very handmaid's tale yes the blue the all blue hats that they're all wearing yeah it, like it looks, looks like, like very the female cult kind of thing yeah yep handmaid's tale is a good book and i had zero interest in watching the show i have not read the book i've i've had a copy sitting on my shelf for years and have never read it I listened to it narrated by Claire Danes. Ooh. So that was that was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Um lots of testing for months. She gets into a fight and after the fight they decide to do more testing on her and for some unknown reason that we'll find out later uh they disqualify her and send her at packing. And so she gets a job with a family, goes to night school, And this is where she runs into an unidentified man who quotes Abraham Lincoln to her, which was the exact thing she was thinking at that moment. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Okay. Unidentified man. Were you thinking Ethan Hawke? I was at first, yes. I was until I was like, but she she would most likely recognize him unless his face was melted. And well, he had like he got he looks different than he did, and so that's why she doesn't recognize him at the bar later. You know. Yes. So yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't thinking Ethan Hawke as much as I was thinking um, agent. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But then by the time, like by the time that sequence ended, I had it figured out though. Really, like the whole thing. Pretty much, yeah. Because, oh, because, like you said, there's only like three characters in the movie. Yeah. And the same thing as the previous movie, when we got to the halfway point and you're like, oh, so this wasn't the big twist. There's another twist yet to come. It just kind of made sense. It it made sense. <laughs> This made sense to you. Yes, yes, is it did. what you're telling me. Yes, if if you are on the train, if you're on the same train as the movie, it makes sense. I think if you're standing on the platform, <laughs> there's no way in hell that it's it would just make all sense. A blur. Yes, it's just flying past, and you go, "What?" <laughs> well put. Well put. Um, so. Sarah Snook is falling in love with a guy and then he bails one night at a park bench and is just like, hey, I'm out of here. And that was the last she saw of him. Um, Noah Taylor shows back up and he tells her that 
he doesn't actually work for a space place. He's more just looking for exceptional people with exceptional abilities and basically no family. No family ties or whatever. But, lo and behold, this mystery man got her pregnant and, uh, and that disqualifies her once again from being a special person in Noah Taylor's eyes or whatever, and so he bails. Supposedly. Supposedly. Um, she has a terrifying cesarean section and gives birth to a girl. It's terrifying just because that hospital with those green walls, it just didn't look clean. <laughs> it just didn't, it just didn't look clean. And anytime I see hospitals, especially mental health facilities from the 60s, 50s, whatever, it's, it's always terrifying. The, um... That specific type of green, I used to have a a doctor's examination table that someone had made into like a console table. So it had a glass top instead of the bed on top. Yeah. And it was that like sickly mental institution green from like the 50s and 60s. Uh, and that's what my, my PlayStation and t- television sat on for the longest <laughs> for the longest time. Really? Yeah. That thing was heavy as shit, but it was super cool. Your wife wasn't having that, was she? Uh, to be fair, my ex-girlfriend took it when she left. And then what I did is I built a tower out of guitar cases to use <laughs> as a console and hung the TV on the wall. So I just had a bunch of guitar cases with my game consoles on top of them. Smart. You always want your game consoles that cost a lot of money on top of something that can easily tip over at any moment. Wait, a guitar case isn't going to tip over. Mine would. I have the guitar cases that are acoustic guitar shaped and they're all like bulbous. You can't stack shit on those. Oh, no, I have like, you know, I've got Telecasters. So I've got like had like four big coffin cases. Yeah. Right on top of each other. Yeah, that's yeah. not what I have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, I'll let, you know what? I'm going to let you talk about this next scene here. Gee, thanks. With the- <laughs> <laughs> so go for it, Josh. We, we find out the secret along with Jane, uh, that she was born intersexed, I believe is the correct terminology. Yeah. I don't think we say hermaphrodite anymore, but. It it was only internally that she had the organs. Right. So. Also, I remember once when I was a kid, there was a question of Jeopardy, his final Jeopardy question. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this person was the, this person with blah, 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 was the descendant of these two gods. And it was something about sexual genitalia. Oh, yeah. And so as a kid, I was like, Hermes and Aphrodite. Uh-huh. Bam. Nailed it. Take that, mom. You suck. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's got... Internally, she has both sets of sexual organs, mm-hmm. but the birthing process damaged her uterus and lady parts so bad that they decide to do a hysterectomy without her consent and then also begin initializing the procedure for a sex change again without even t- 
talking to her about it. This she goes, she gives birth and wakes just like the hor- the body horror of going into a medical facility and waking up and a doctor telling you we've irreversibly changed you. Yes. And the that's two lines that get crossed there. Like the the hysterectomy to save her life could be one thing. Like yeah. yeah. But starting the sex change because she could have just stayed living as a as a woman without her you don't, uterus. Yeah. There's a lot of women who walk around with hysterectomies. Yes, who exactly. still Who are still just fine. Yeah. Just going to the bathroom just fine. No problems whatsoever. I... So, this felt to me like that was... This was just the thing of, like, 60s sexist-ass piece-of-shit doctors are like, you'd prefer to be a man, though, right? Yeah, clearly you it's, want to be a guy. It's better. Like, it's just... Like, your life would just be better if you were a man. And that's pretty much... The doctor starts smoking and tells her, like, you know, you'll, you'll get used to it. You'll be fine. I know, but... She still has to have three more operations and a year of hospitalization with testosterone injections and everything else. It's not like they committed her to this, but it's nowhere near done. Mm-hmm. It's like they started her on a path that she can't go back from. So now she has to go down this path for a fucking year. It, it's it's a horror story. It really is. And it seems like her uh, her male genitalia is prepubescent. Because of the way they describe it, and that she will have to grow into it, basically, or it will have to grow, catch up with her, because it's not until she has lived as John for a long time that she is fertile as a man. That's a good point. I had not quite thought of. Yeah, but she does. Yeah, they they sell. also Ethan Hawke celebrating her her fertility uh-huh. as a man. That felt very uncomfortable for me. Yes, I did not. I did not appreciate that. <laughs> I was like, like, Ethan. He's like, wait, way to go, bud. You're great. Now you can have like a family. And I'm like, uh, you're, you're spouting like the same shit that that doctor was spouting. But, uh, but he has a very specific reason for doing so. I know. <laughs> That's the thing. And my brain hurts again. <laughs> <laughs> so. She wants to take revenge on the guy, Noah Taylor, who she holds responsible for ruining her life. But wait a second. Yeah, go ahead. I missed something. You missed the fact that when she's in the hospital, she names her baby Jane after she finds out that she's going to become John. She names her baby Jane to carry on the name, which is kind of a joke because she was a Jane Doe to begin with. And then someone steals the baby. Oh, right, the baby theft. Yes. Which baby is theft. never even... And she talks multiple times about how she wants to raise this kid, and she wants she will be both father and mother to it, um, and give the kid a complete life. And, yeah. Uh, during this next sequence, when Ethan Hawke, as in his role as the agent, offers John the chance to kill the man who impregnated and abandoned Jane. 
Okay, this is one question. Yes. Is he offering that, or is he offering the chance to kill Noah Taylor to her? I wasn't quite sure who she said was the man that ruined her life, who she held responsible. Oh, I had just assumed that it was... Her lover who abandoned her with pregnancy. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Because Noah Taylor, like, he was, he recruited her for stuff, but he didn't seem like that responsible for ruining her life is she I, I don't know yes and but also in this little scene ethan hawk admits that he works for what's his name in the movie robertson or something uh um, noah think, taylor's character i think it's robertson yeah 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 robertson um that he also works that robertson is the one who runs the temporal core agency or whatever they're called um and but during the scene in the whole background the song i'm my own grandpa starts playing yeah. on the jukebox which i, I like <laughs> i made a note of and i was like oh that's a cute little reference and then ethan hawk sings it he sings one line of it as they're walking down the stairs is this when he yells at the guys at the jukebox to just let them play the song yes. or whatever yeah okay yeah I I can't tell you I don't I'll I'll try to tell you when this movie fully revealed itself to me. Okay. I'll I'll try to pinpoint it, but it's, it's I'm struggling to remember exactly where I had like the oh shit moment. Because for me it was here. With that song? Yes. Really? Yes. See, I'm not I'm not picking up on things yet. I don't think. Um so she tries to rejoin the Space Corps, but they just want to look at her body, now John's body, as like a scientific anomaly or something. Um, so then she gets a job, or gets a typewriter, and decides to do the Confessions of an Unmarried Mother mm-hmm. panel. Or is it a, it's like an op-ed? Kind no. of. It's a book? No, I think it's just like the trials and tribulations of an unwed mother probably with some lusty stuff thrown in there and cuz she was replicating the those confession magazines. Yes. Yeah, okay. Like the penthouse forum kind of thing, but on a different kind of level. <laughs> yes. Yes, but very yeah. I think that's very very close to the Okay. Idea. Yeah. So she says, yeah, when Ethan presents her with the opportunity, she says she would kill she would kill the man in a heartbeat. Um so they go down to the basement of the bar, and uh, she follows Ethan Hawke down to the bar and goes down into the basement with him. But then when he's, like, locking and padlocking the doors behind him, mm-hmm. I'm getting ma- major, like, uh, get the fuck out of there vibes. <laughs> um, and this, my note was, um, are we supposed to know that John was the man that she meets? Like, before she met him. That was my question. Like, does the movie want us to know? I don't think the movie wants you to know yet. Okay. I don't think. Okay. Um, so he gets out his USFF coordinate something kit, the briefcase with the calendar on it. I like the look of the rotary dial. Yeah, that was very cool. Thing. Yeah. Um, he brings two guns to them. I, I pre two guns and he says it's important why is it important for him to have two guns 
I I guess only to give John the other gun. That would yeah. That's basically the only thing I could think. Yeah. Although um, I thought that that was going to play in later than in the, in the final end. Right. So Ethan Hawke says he works for the Temporal Bureau, which is the place that's what the Space Corps was that she almost worked for. And he's basically a precog at this point from uh, the Spielberg movie, uh, Minority Report. Yes. Yeah. He's going around preventing crimes before they actually take place. He's like a combination of the precog and the Tom Cruise character. Like, yeah, because why, why bother with three triplets floating around in a pool when you can just have one guy do it? Yes, exactly. Minority Report's good. That's a really good movie. Yeah. Although I do like. These movies get in and out. These are both like 92 and 94 minute movies. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I remember Minority Report being pretty long. Yes. Although some of the best stuff in Minority Report, I would argue, is not like um, plot dependent. Like Peter Stromer being the, the eye doctor. Uh, that whole sequence. Was it Peter Stromer in that? Um, or no, is it the other? Um, who am I thinking of? Um, is this, is it a uh, Skarsgård? Uh, no, it's is Stormare. He's okay. the he's the eyeball eyeball guy. I was thinking of the um, the the amount of time we spend in the greenhouse with um. I don't remember what her character's name is or who or the actress, <laughs> but what uh, greenhouse we're see. That's the thing. It's not, I don't think it's a plot dependent scene. I think it's a character scene that you could cut out of the movie, but it's one of the better things in the movie. I don't even remember what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, Minority report greenhouse. A growing obsession. And it's like a little philosophical scene. Even one of the songs is is called uh, The Greenhouse Effect. Okay, I'm watching. I see a scene with an old woman in the greenhouse. She's talking. Oh, the plants are moving around. Yes. No, I don't remember this one bit. It's basically, it's that movie's version of um, maybe like the Merovingian scene or the... The what? The Merovingian from The Matrix. Are you saying Mayor? No, Merovingian. The fuck is... What are you saying to me? Merovingian. He's the the French guy who feeds people orgasm cake. Oh no, the guy who talks about orgasm cake? Yes. Oh, that movie pissed me. <laughs> I rewatched the whole trilogy to watch the fourth Matrix. Yes, yeah. I was so annoyed with that French guy. <laughs> it's just, I wasn't having it. But it's one of those scenes where they sit down and they talk about philosophy for a few minutes. Yeah, I got you. All right. Yes. Uh, so they go to 1963, and this is where. 
Sarah Snook now bumps into herself dressed as the the dude that she meets. And so now at this point, this is kind of a time crimes moment. Does she say the Lincoln quote because she knows that's what happened? Or because she has to because that already happened? Exactly. That... <laughs> I think I love that you you answer yes you basically just told me that my question is the answer well <laughs> is it is that the watching you watching you look up and trying to like do timeline geography <laughs> in your brain as your eyes are just scanning uh, up away from the screen trying to like wrap your head around uh, this is great I'm trying to figure out if it is the point of the movie or if it's just you making that question is just a byproduct of the movie. Because the whole movie is predestination. Like that's what the that's what they titled the film. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh but here it feels like it isn't based in the plot. It feels like it's based in character. Like she says it because that's the thing that she would say as that character, not because that's the thing she's predestined to say. But of course, they're both the same thing, ultimately. Right. Because the first time she said it, it was just, that's her nature. Yes. But then, similar to time crimes, yes. we only see the second time things happen. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> it's happening again. But, but are we seeing the second time, or oh, are we seeing this the, the 50th be the time? This seventh time. Yes. I, oh, God. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, at this point now, I know that she is the mystery man, but I still didn't want to believe... So, I just kind of put it out of my mind that the mystery man was the one who got her pregnant, because I was just like, well, that that's preposterous. <laughs> but she she's talking to herself, and she's into herself. Oh, she's very into herself. I know. From from And then I was wondering like if I met female me, mm -hmm. would I sweep myself off my feet? I think I feel like I would because there's just so much in common between the two of us. So the weird part is from Jane's perspective, she's just meeting the perfect man. Right. From John's perspective, he is appreciating who Jane was. And it's only in that moment that he truly learns to love Jane. Himself. Yes. Is this masturbation? I don't know. If you if you cloned yourself, would that be masturbation? If there was if these are the real questions. Yes. <laughs> so, so meanwhile, all this while all this is happening, Ethan Hawke sneaks away to sneak to jump over to 1970 
uh, pulls his gun, catches the Fizzle Bomber setting up, uh, Hawk and Fizzle fight, and then uh, Hawk gets knocked down, and then he then sees himself, well, he sees the melted face person get their face melted yes. by the bomb, and Ethan Hawk was actually the one to push the canister over to them to yeah. get them time traveling. Yes. Uh, Melted Face goes to 1992. So that's where the future is, I think, is 92. Oh, okay. Leatherhawk goes to 64 to his, like, shitty apartment. He Is this where... I couldn't really tell where he prefers to live. It seems like this is his apartment. This is his home. He would... Like, it seems like he would mostly spend time in 64, but it's a very strange idea to think that this guy could choose willy-nilly when he wants to live. Yes. And, but he does finally... Wait, or has he already done that? No, he hasn't been decommissioned yet. No. Uh, But this is where we get the line about never exceeding the jump limit, he says to himself, and blah, blah, blah. As, Snow, we're getting back to the John and Jane talking. Um, Also, I think if I met myself as a stranger, and I knew I was talking to myself, like, let's say somehow I go back in time five years, and I meet up with myself in San Francisco, I could give myself one hell of a therapy session. Uh-huh. Could you imagine the therapy session you could give yourself if you had five years wisdom and then talk back to that person and be like, listen, I know these are your insecurities. They're not real. Right. You are you are a good person. And like and just you could like shatter your own mind with that therapy. It would be maybe like the best therapy session ever. But is that what he's doing? By telling her that she is beautiful and calling her out on her shit. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, My next note is when Noah Taylor jumps and he jumps into the room right next to Ethan Hawke and meets up with him. I really like the when they do the jumps in this movie, like, there's not some big effect. It's like they appear in the frame and there's wind. Or they disappear and there's like a, a bit of a suction, it looks like. Yeah. It and seems to it. get more violent as it goes along, though. Because at one point when he's like, towards the end of the movie, he jumps from a car and I think the windows shatter. Yes. But I like it. It's you know, like when Noah Taylor walks in, it definitely looks like they just had an air cannon yeah. that would just like poof and blow out the curtain, and then he walks out. Yep. It's such like a simple effect, but I like it. But this is where. So what's, the, what's this meeting with Noah Taylor and Ethan Hawke? Well, because this is like the crux of the movie, kind of where Noah tells him, "You have to do what." you don't want to do here, which is steal the baby. Yes. Because, but everything he's done is also 
he is setting Jane up for a life of pain and then setting up John for a half-life, essentially, up until Jane and John meet each other and then they get ripped away from each other. Like, everything he's doing is causing this person pain and making them, taking away their, uh, any familial connections they might have. Huh. And I think that's what he, he is really, this is the moment of, you could take this baby someplace else and give it a different life. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) But of course he doesn't. That's the thing. We find out that Ethan Hawke is the one, the agent is the one who took Jane as a baby and delivered baby Jane back in time to the orphanage that John told him about earlier. And the baby was born in 1965 or 63, but then he takes it back to 1945. Which is with like, him and then drops off at the orphanage, uh-huh. which is where it's, Oh God. <laughs> and is, is that the, the edge of the time limit? Uh, no, it would be in the 30s, I believe. Okay. I believe. So, we also start to see John and Jane start to make out, and this was the point where I was like, everything started falling into place for me of like, oh no, they're actually doing this. This is, there's no twist of like, there's another man. Right. Sarah Snook is the man that she has sex with herself to become pregnant with herself so that way she can give birth to herself so she can grow up to have sex with herself and give birth to herself. (laughs) Oh no! Yes! (laughs) This is the... Oh my god. <laughs> so, and, and the most brilliant fucking way of just like chicken or the egg or the rooster, they all exist simultaneously and they cannot exist without each other. But right. none of them existed first. Yes. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Which it's funny because it's like they made the whole movie. Um, around the the paradox in uh terminator and they were like but what if that was the point of the movie rather than something that you just kind of overlooked honestly i feel like terminator is like grade school time travel yes. compared to what we've been confronting with these two oh for sure for sure terminator has a paradox in it but it's like it's such like a simple time paradox of like no fate, but what we make. Can you go back and change things? Well, Edward Furlong never fucked himself to become the leader of the human resistance. No, but um, Kyle Reese. Yeah. Yeah, because and John sends Kyle back to- in time to both save his mom and become his father. Yes. So yeah. how did it happen the first time? 
<laughs> or did somebody else send Kyle back? We're we're so close to the end of this episode. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm gonna watch a cartoon after this. I think <laughs> something very did, simple. Did Did Tarkovsky make any cartoons? Oh, if if he had, they would be mind blowing. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, she gives birth to herself as her own parents. Now she leaves herself on the bench again, but we find out that Ethan Hawke was actually up there, and so John leaves John leaves Jane on the bench and mm-hmm. then goes and pulls a gun on Ethan Hawke. Uh, what was this conversation here? This is where it it's kind of the same thing as from a slightly different angle as Robertson just gave to the agent. Like, don't worry. Everything will make sense. You just have to keep pushing forward. You're almost to the point where this will make sense. And this will all have been worth it. And like, I never wanted to hurt her. And then Ethan Hawke says, I never wanted to hurt her either. Like, right. And John says that has, John's in love and doesn't want to leave. It's just like, uh, are are you in love with yourself? Like, <laughs> do do you just want to like marry yourself and like, you're cool with this? Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, after you already had such a wild life and you were time traveling, at a certain point, wouldn't you just maybe you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Yes, I think similarly to Hector 3, I think I would reach a point where I'd just throw my hands in the air and be like, listen, I have no grasp on this wheel, yeah. so I'm just going to roll with whatever this, <laughs> exactly. whatever weird shit happens, I'm just going to roll with it, because that seems to be the only way to do it. <laughs> um, <sighs> so, so they jump 22 years forward to 1985, and... But it fucks John up, so he's kind of bedridden for a while because it's hard to jump far. And oh yeah, so what happened? So Hawk jumps back to seventy-five to go to the bar, grabs the Doors bottle, quits his bar job. Guys are listening to "I'm My Own Grandpa" again. Um, or he jumps to seventy-five. What? What did he set his timer to? Because he sets his timer like, okay, I guess it's time to like finish this thing mm-hmm. and he sends it to something mission and then gets a fail error fail i didn't quite catch what he set his timer to oh decommission oh d de- okay i i i, I was reading it like december mission something. mission or Got some, it. Yeah. i was confused okay decommission yeah and then it says right. was it air fail error yeah oh so he was not able to decommission his time travel thing yes. which then okay Okay. <laughs> and this is where we get a lot of like the old dialogue coming back mm-hmm. where you hear like the replays of I guess you could say that's a job we're born into and stuff like that. And uh this is where I didn't know this part was coming. So I'm still not fully aware of this movie <laughs> until he gets this typewriter. And then we see Ethan Hawke writing Confessions of an Unmarried Mother uh-huh. by John X that Jane, Jane Doe. 
and now I'm like, no, who, <laughs> where, <laughs> what, who, what? <laughs> oh, the, the the face, the face melted. Uh huh. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> My own mother <laughs> like, wouldn't recognize me. I went through like the whole gambit of paradoxical emotions with this ending here. Uh, so he writes the novel. March 75 is the big bomb day. Um, but he, so he talks about the Orberus, the snake that eats its own tail forever. So he, he knows that the fizzle bomber is going to be at the laundromat beforehand or something. Yes. Somehow figures out from a a bill of sale for the timer. Uh, like the, yeah, I didn't understand the receipt timer, the invoice thing. Like, look at the invoice. I didn't didn't quite. I feel like it, that's a little bit of film noir of kind of like here's some clues and they lead to that. Like, it doesn't really check out because if okay. Follow me here. Oh, okay. If if Robertson had had that, he could have short circuited, and his real goal was to stop the fizzle bomber. He could have stopped the process at any time because once he has that information, he would have always had that information because he can take it to whenever he needs to. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I think that it means that he is forcing Ethan Hawke into this showdown. Noah Taylor, his whole thing seems to be he wanted control of like an agent. Yes. Or like a, a rogue agent or something. Yes, he wants someone who is entirely disconnected from that has no other life other than the agency. And the only way you can do that is by finding somebody who can give birth to themselves to therefore guarantee that they have no ties. Yes. God damn it. Let's <laughs> think it's it doesn't it doesn't make sense, but it works or it works, but it doesn't make sense. One of the two. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to think anymore. But in the middle, so, the middle of yeah, this movie lost me a little bit, like where it was explaining that she was intersexed and then had to live the rest of her life as a man. Because uh, I, I think that's where the split is, because I don't think she identified as a man at all before that. Um, but. And this was being forced on her. I was like, this movie, this is kind of gross. Like, politically, it, it bothered me. Like, but then it goes, it takes that so far that I don't even see that anymore. Like, that point is so far in the rearview mirror by the time you get to the end of the movie. <laughs> I agree. Because I was like, man, this is, I wasn't expecting them to spend, like, 30 minutes or so kind of setting up a character who may be trans or who may not be and what that person's then struggle would be with a forced 
procedure mm-hmm. and a forced new way of life and everything. And I was like, this 30 minutes in, I was like, what is this? This is not, yes. this is yep. not I thought this was going to be like Ethan Hawke as a time cop jumping around trying to stop a bomber. This is not that. Right. I was so confused. And then by the end of the movie, that that wasn't even on my mind. <laughs> Just yep. trying to wrap my head around everything else that that was like, okay, that, that was so long ago that that's not even significant now. Yep. And it does, the, the bomber plot, having not been in the original Heinlein novel or short story, makes sense now. Like, when you see how little impact it actually has on the movie. and Yeah, but it's a good device. Yes. To keep it moving and to feel like... I don't know, this would, be, this would feel really weird as a character study only without another plot motivating it and driving it forward. Yes, that kind of thing would work as a short story. I don't think that would work as a movie. So, yeah, we're going into the laundromat now, and this is like the big reveal that the fizzle killer is old Ethan Hawke. And he says that he's saved 3,000 lives by killing... There's a group of terrorists that he blew up inside their house before they could kill a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what movie am I thinking of that this is like so similar to, of like, I sacrifice the few to save the many kind of thing. I, I guess it's a pretty yeah, common trope. Really... Yeah. Um, but then I like that he's like, I've saved 3,000 lives. And current Ethan Hawke is like, yeah, but you're about to kill 10,000. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you saved three. You're about to kill three times, four times more people than you have ever saved. Yes. Um, so... I liked that they gave old Ethan Hawke um, Jane's glasses. Ooh, I didn't catch that. Yes. That's good, though. Yeah. I was like, those, those kind of two-tone uh, horn-rimmed glasses were pretty cool. I went on a date with a woman once, and it wasn't a good date for many reasons, but sunglass choice is very particular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it can say a lot about you. And she just had these horned glasses that were far too horned, and it felt like I, I just, it just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't my cup of tea. Uh-huh. I don't know. There was another woman who I was like, on her profile, on her hinge, I was like, oh, she's cute. And then I saw there's two photos of her wearing sunglasses that the frames are gigantic hearts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's your main pair of sunglasses. It's not going to work. <laughs> if, if there was one picture, it might have been a novelty thing. Exactly. This could have been a you're one-off. You're at a party, you're dressing up, you're being goofy. Yeah. But if those are your go-to day-to-day sunglasses, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I really shouldn't be picky. <laughs> it's been so long <laughs> since I've been. <laughs> It's oh, been God. So long. oh, it hurts. Oh. <laughs> oh. What does future Hawk mean? All right. He says, if, if you'll kill me, you'll become me. To break the chain, you must love me. So I was trying to think about that. Ethan Hawk has always killed the Fizzle Bomber in the end. It's yes. always happened. 
But if he doesn't do that, and if he does love himself as the bomber, what would would that break the chain? I don't, can you break this chain? Because they are in like a self-contained infinity loop figure eight right now. Like these characters are never going to make it past this execution. Yes. This will always be the end. I assume a couple things. One of them is that um, uh, Noah Taylor uses uh, Ethan Hawke as an agent to do other things as well. Because if his whole life was just setting up his own whole life, that seems kind of like... Well, yeah, it seems like he's killed a lot of people in the past as a time agent. Yes. As a time cop. Yeah. Um, And I think that this is kind of the point of the movie of like the earlier version. uh, Okay. So as John, Jane understands love. And as, or as Jane, she understands love when John comes into her life. John understands loving and appreciating themselves when he falls in love with Jane. Older agent cannot come to terms with the things that he has done and therefore cannot love the bomber version of himself, which I think represents everything the agent has done and that mentality. Old Ethan Hawke, the fizzle bomber, is like his ex-boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that. <laughs> I, I can feel my mouth open right now, <laughs> and I can't close it, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I've never had this problem before in this show. I just don't know how just, to respond to anything uh... at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. That's the thing. That's pretty fucking crazy. Man. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. You have anything else on this one? <laughs> uh, no. I just wanted to know if what you thought is if if he didn't kill himself, what happens? But you already asked me that. But, so if he doesn't kill himself, then that means that the Fizzle Bomber will go ahead with the bombing. But Ethan Hawke never stopped the 1975 bombing. Because it happened. So he... But that's... By killing the Fizzle Bomber... Oh, but now, has he changed anything now? Has Has he presented... Has he prevented the 1975 New York City Massacre... At the end of this movie. Well, that's the question, right? Because as the fizzle bomber, he's clearly much older than than agent version of himself. But the fizzle bomber tells him, if you kill me, you will become me. Which to me is also kind of like the parental thing of, you know, you turn into your parent. 
who you go through a period of despising the Oedipus Rex style. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I know they, they use the mechanic that the more and more jumps he did, the more fragments of his brain he essentially like left behind, and that's why he's able to convince himself that by the end of the movie, murdering civilians will prevent deaths. Yes. And then we really get the minority report question of like, is that moral? Even if it is moral, are predestined crimes always going to happen? Or is there some way that the system could be wrong? Right. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff. And once again, we have no answers. No. 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 The only answer I have is that I give this movie a strong four out of five. It's not... I, I The paradoxes and everything, the way it's shot, it's great. It's no time crimes as far as just the thrill ride of it. Like I really enjoyed this movie, but I would definitely hesitate a lot more to show predestination to someone oh, for sure. than I would time crimes. I feel like time crimes would be a hit with almost anyone... And this movie, I feel like, would catch a lot of people so off guard that they would not be into it. Yes, I can definitely, I could, I could list off people in my life who would have, get off the train of this movie at some point and I decide would, to stand I on would the have, platform. I would have loved to have had your dad on this episode and made him watch Predestination. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is a movie he would respond well to. Oh yeah, it'd be great. I can picture it now. What do you give it on a five star, five star scale? Uh, I'm going three and a half. I think it's, it is a very well put together 90 minute movie. Like even if I don't, didn't like getting into the weeds with it, the fact that it's a self-contained movie, it's exciting enough and it takes place and it's done in like 92 minutes. That made me it very ends, happy. It ends abruptly. Yes. It ends very abruptly. Yeah. Which kind of left me with a little bit of a lingering lack of closure. Okay. I don't know. Time Crimes has such like a tidy little bow at the end of it. Yeah. Hanging I, out on the lawn chair with your wife and like it's over. Yeah. Whereas this one, this one's never over. Right. I mean, like he's going to. Is is he going to go down that path and become the Fizzle Bomber now? I guess. <laughs> I mean, he has to. Or was was he lying? I don't know. I can't get into it again. <laughs> I don't know. Should we start this episode and get out of here? Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, do the intro. Right. Hey, listeners, this is... Welcome to Nash... Well, fuck. Hey everybody, welcome to Nashville CA. This is your double weekly, double feature podcast hosted by one guy in Nashville, another guy in California. That's my buddy over there. Hey Josh, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you this week, Sean? I'm good. 